I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Town, Wollongong City, GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. Welcome to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. It's all right, but Saturday morning in the gong is sensational. We hope. Hello, everybody. Fox Sports, Matt Russell, alongside Illawarra Mercury sports journalist extraordinaire Mitch Jennings. How are you? You made a record early arrival this morning, 7.47. What was doing? Good morning, Matthew. It's a picture here at the Wollongong Golf Club. I can say up at the farm, it was blowing a dead set gale. That's how I got here so far, so I just grabbed a sheet <laughs> off the line, threw it up, and I flew down here on the sheet. It was blowing that much, but you get down here and... It, Absolutely picturesque, Matty. So it never misses the mighty Wollongong Golf Club. No better place to be on a Saturday morning. We are at the Tap-In Terrace, part of the 19th here at the glorious Wollongong Golf Club, broadcasting 1575 Illawarra Track, 1170 into Sydney for the first hour. The second hour, you'll have to get us on the SEN app. And what a show we have this morning. We're going to get to the Matildas shortly. Jordan Warren standing by for that. But also the Winx Stakes today, Group 1 racing back in Sydney, Mitch Cohen previews the big guns on show today. Our regular hosts are here as well. Tim Barrow talking league. Matt Campbell might give us a snow report. I have some spies that tell me he is at the ski fields enjoying the snow down there that's arrived over the last couple of days. He'll talk boomers, of course, but... Geno, haven't we had some World Cup fever this year? Diamonds getting the job done. Matildas uh, playing for bronze this afternoon, this evening. The boomers are coming quickly. The rugby is almost here. Cricket around the corner as well. And Eddie Jones, the Australian rugby coach. You're meant to have the irrits after you get off a long-haul flight, not before you get on and on a long-haul flight, Mitch. Maybe he was a bit annoyed he had to wear that silly hat. <laughs> I don't know if it, it was did that. Look strange. It was that. Oh man, it was a bizarre. It was a bizarre. Is it because it is, if you put it on, you know, a farmer, um, you know, from out the central western New South Wales, it, it looks right. But when you slap it on Eddie Jones, it's almost some sort of, uh, you know, Christmas tree decoration. Well, you got that. It you got the blazer. It, it kind of does tap into every rugby stereotype you can think of, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> really, it does. when you think of it. But yeah, no, hell of a hell of a dodgy performance in that press conference from from Eddie. Eddie, <laughs> we'll Eddie wasn't that. so steady. <laughs> we'll get to that. We're here at the Wollongong Golf Club, proud sponsor to this show. I hope they're proud. Anyway, Wollongong City Motors Impact Garage Doors, impacting homes for twenty years. The Illawarra Mercury, IllawarraMercury.com.au, and Mitch, a new sponsor, Avcon, specialising in industrial and response projects, waste management, emergency spill response. They could be used at your house, I reckon, on a few occasions. Sunday industrial mornings, yeah. services, water rescue. I certainly need that at times. Key projects, go to avconprojects.com.au. Ryan Burke and the team at Kiama. Good on you, Ryan. Thanks for being involved. Thanks for coming on board. avconprojects.com.au. I bumped into Peter Valandis last night at PBL. the footy. He was there taking his son and his son's mate to... Roosters Parramatta. He was in fine form. He just lobbed in the media conference and almost stole the spotlight from Trent Robinson. He told us about 
the fact he's going to hire an A380 to take the, the media contingent to Las Vegas wow. next year. And I thought straight away... Hell of a ticket to jump on. What, what do we call that? Con Air sort of is appropriate, but it's been taken. Oh, boy, oh boy. Gen O Air, I think that's probably too If you specific. get us on, mate, is it, I've seen a really good special you can watch about the infamous <laughs> uh, private jet with the WWE wrestlers. Some legends on that and what went on there. That'd, that'd be... Uh, it'd get a nudge if there was a, the right mix of journos on that flight. I want suggestions. 0457 Text what should the NRL call the plane that's taking all the journos to Vegas for uh, that game or those games next year? 0457 736 736. What are your nominations? Um, look, let's talk league and let's do so by going back to last night where the Roosters did this against the Eels. This will be eight games in a row in which they've conceded 20 points or more. They've never done that in their history. Going all the way back to 1947. Radley for Keary. Here's Butcher. They cap it with Nathan Butcher diving in. The Roosters have it. And they are alive in 2023 with two games remaining. Absolutely they are. They've been walking a tightrope for a long time. But they've won four of their last five. The only loss in there was the collapse against Brisbane. Good team. Uh, last night, as Trent Robinson said afterwards, Mitch, they kept the Eels to 12 points. Uh, first half, the Roosters only missed five tackles. An extraordinarily low number. Plenty of talking points out of this one. We'll get to James Tedesco in a moment. But the performance from the Roosters, who now go Tigers... South Sydney win both. They'll be in the finals. What do you think of them? Yeah, it was interesting. I think we heard Dan Ganane there. They stay alive, and I think that's what they're, they're doing at the moment. They're still not setting the world on fire. I still wouldn't even suggest it quite amounts to a resurgence just that. If you, if you look, like you said, of who the Titans have been, obviously, indifferent all year. The Seagulls have been the same. These are the wins they've racked up, obviously, last night against the Eels, who were on sort of their last legs as well. And you throw in that, that loss to the Broncos, they were sort of never close to being in, really. So I don't know if it amounts to a full resurgence, but the fact is, Matty, with that run home that you mentioned, that probably doesn't need to be. They still might be able to get into the finals. And the question for me becomes, Matty, how do we view this campaign if they were to scrape into eighth? Does it and go straight out? Does it does it look any different to the failure it has looked like for most of the year if they qualify for the finals? Does it save some face? I'm, I'm really... I look at this every year. I'm always very interested to see who fills seventh and eighth spot on the ladder and what that actually means for their campaign, what it, the way it can change the entire complexion of a campaign and whether it should or it shouldn't. And I think that'll never be a more interesting look than the Roosters if they sort of scrape in, isn't it? I was going to say last night was almost the flop off. The two, two of the teams, that, two of the teams that we have probably been oh, disappointing. The flop Come on, Mitch. But I tell you what, we've got, we've probably got it coming. If um, Souths and the Roosters in the last round are both playing to try to get into the finals, those two heavyweights, the way mm. we thought they would be at the start of the year, imagine that. That would be the flop off. We'll call it that. We'll get in early on that, and we'll, we'll dub it that. But um, yeah, interesting. I'll, I'll be very interested to see how we look at this whole campaign in the wash up uh, if they were to to scrape in or, you know, on the off chance that they scrape in and then and make a run at it could be, uh, could be a fairy tale, just have to wait and see. Did you have the Roosters in your top four? I did. I absolutely did. So therefore, yep. if they don't finish top four, finish seventh or eighth and then go out first week, it's still a failure, right? If well, you, if you look at it, it's you relative. At a big picture, but if you go, wow, I didn't even think they'd make the eight. They got there, they threw some punches in the finals. Uh, it depends how you look at it. Well, but that's what I'm getting at, Matty, yeah, because we've yep. changed along the way. We've deemed them a failure so long ago because of how underwhelming they've been. Do we then suddenly, is it less of a failure that they scraped into the eighth? I, you know, I think with that roster, they're still, it's still a very underwhelming 
campaign to this point and would still be if they can string a few together and scrape into that eight. Maybe Rooster Muzz might send us a text. Is it a failure? Is it a success if they make the eight? Will you not decide until you see what they do if they make the finals? Now, one feature of the Roosters' late run has been consistency across their lineup. They haven't been able to put the same team on the field earlier on in the season, but all of a sudden over the last five weeks it's been their most consistent period, but they'll be forced into changes next week against the Tigers. James Tedesco won't play. Cat 2 concussion last night, elevated to Cat 1 given his concussion history. He won't play West Tigers next weekend, um, and that means that Manu will go to fullback, Hutchison into the centres. We expect Sam Walker to play New South Wales Cup tomorrow, come in in the halves. Sandon Smith, another option. Uh, that's not what the Roosters needed. They might still beat the Tigers next week, although even that is a discussion if Luke Brooks comes back in and they beat the Dolphins today like the bookies say they will. But what I'm saying is you're going to have another backline reshuffle leading in to the South Sydney Crunch game, just taking maybe a bit of momentum away from the consistent team they've been able to field. Yeah, it's, well, every team sort of wrestled. We look at Parramatta last night, the, the difficulties they've had keeping their top side on the park as well without Mitch Moses last night. So I think if you do get them there in some sort of shape, the Roosters are a team that can can really make a puncher's chance count. And I, I can sense they're probably getting that little bit of energy as the finish line gets nearer because they know it's only a couple more efforts. You know, we're seeing a lift from Tedesco. We're seeing a lift from certain guys. You know, a Sam Walker floating around. I mean, given how difficult it's been for them to break the shackles, does, that, does he come in in that circumstance and really go on a surge and really inject something into them. I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see. We, we, we've never been able to predict what we're going to get from this Rooster side all year, Matty. It's just when they've been when they've been near full strength, when they've been under under strength, it's been really hard to tip. So I'm, it's almost a fool's errand, even from here, only with two games to go, to predict where they'll go. But uh, Tedesco out is, is a big one. And it was it was a bad knock, Matty. I was saying off-air mm. before, I thought he'd sort of got clipped on the initial. So I'm not surprised it was deemed a cat too to start with. I thought slipping and be clipped over the top then you saw he got it was a pretty fair whack so yeah he'll be um he'll be out for another week and continues a bit of a, a rough ride through the year for teddy doesn't it he walked straight past me and he was really frustrated that he was going off now i didn't know whether his frustration was at the act of mike acevo or the fact that he copped a head knock i think it was the latter i think he was disappointed a to leave the game b it was probably dawning on him what that meant going to miss next week and from a bigger picture, what it might mean to the team. And after the game, Brad Arthur, Trent Robinson, very uh, quick and decisive in not attributing any blame to Mike Acevo. Tedesco was falling. Mike had rushed in again and made incidental contact. So nothing to see here, you wouldn't think. When it comes to Parramatta, or before Parramatta, you just can't get too excited, can you, about the prospect of Accor Stadium, Sydney Olympic Park, Round 27, South Sydney Roosters, with Singbin Sunday still vivid in the memories, with the prize being finals footy for the winner, out for the loser. Who knows if that's the way it's going to eventuate, but certainly it looks that way. Parramatta, last year they played a grand final. They're going to miss the top eight 12 months down the track. The excuses are, if you choose to use them, injuries, suspensions, a lot of them. Yes, every team suffers them, but Parramatta have had more than par. Uh, and then there are a series of close losses. You go back to round one, golden point loss when Harry Grant scores the winning try. Uh, how should Parramatta fans feel about their season? Mitch, uh, do they look at all that and go, well, you know what, there's some reasons for this. I'll cop it and expect better next year. Or if you don't make the eight after making a grand final, are you just upset? Are you just frustrated? Are you angry? I'm concerned if I'm the Parramatta fans because what you've got to ask is they were 
contemplating the task. A lot of people were talking about premiership windows and they were scoffing at that, weren't they, Brad Arthur and people within the camp? And you do when you're in the midst of it, you know. You don't want to add the pressure of saying, you know, this is how one swing at it. You're never going to say that publicly, but it's turning out to be that looks like it was their, their best swing. Yes, they've had a lot of injuries. I reckon in the wash-up you'll start looking at whether Parramatta have been spending their money the right way, whether they've backed the right horses as far as where they've... And, and on, on the surface level, it doesn't seem ridiculous, but when you're paying your skipper and Clint Gutherson this much and you're prioritising him and you're prioritising Mitch Moses and paying him the money he's paying and the way you're distributing your cap, you're letting guys like Reid Marnie go, you've let a guy like Papa Lee go who were key to that success. And I start to be concerned going, have we, in trying to deal with, tackle this challenge that you all have that comes with success, are we backing the right horses and that? And it's... It's a subtle thing to notice. It's not so much a knock on, on Mitch Moses or on, on Gutha. They're both so wholehearted and heart and soul of that mm. side. But with what, how you're managing that and what you're putting around them, I start to be concerned going, is it just particularly in the next year and you just see if they, with their full complement, snap back to the form we've sort of seen them um, you know, produce in recent years, we, we can probably just write this one off as a bit of an unlucky anomaly and some other factors. But if they still struggle again, you start to wonder whether they've made some right decisions on their on their roster going forward because they are locked into those longer-term deals now as well. So there's not a lot of manoeuvrability in who you'll bring in or who you'll move out and all that type of stuff. So they're pretty set with this team now for quite some time, Parramatta. So if I'm an Eels fan, I'm slightly concerned going, I hope we have backed the right horses here and we've got the right people into the future. On the text line, an unnamed uh, person this morning. Good morning, Gong Show. Good to see the Eels, or good night to the Eels, I'm sorry. See you in 2024. Another disappointing season, says this text line operator. Too inconsistent all season to be a serious title contender. I know players, sorry, people often get upset with players after a loss seemingly unaffected by the loss. Well, at the other end of the spectrum, Clint Gutherson in the media conference last night, reeking oozing disappointment bitter disappointment answers short look of disgust uh, you don't take it personally but the poor bloke was suffering and there's a bloke wearing a loss the way many say players should wear a loss so let's park roosters eels roosters too good by a margin warriors manly i saw this game preparing sideline last night for that second game and what struck me was the the standard of the tries from both teams but Especially the Warriors, the flying perm as he's been dubbed. Mate, Dallin what are you? The way he finished those three tries, brilliant. Each of them different, subtly, but but he just oozes finishing confidence, winger skill. What a player! What yeah. a season! And it's funny because we've always known Dallin Watanizalesniak has that in him, haven't we? He's hinted at it so much over the years. But whatever, whatever Andrew Webster's doing over there to provide consistency, and I think. I think the, the hardest part was getting the ball rolling. Once you had this side winning and believing in themselves, they've probably gone and done the rest themselves. They've picked mm. up and run with it. But as far as we don't have the we don't have most improved awards in uh, like in the NRL that we do the NBA and everything else. But geez, I will tell you what, the, the Warriors that have to have about three or four of the top contenders. Johnson obviously being the standout one, but Dallin Watini's a Lesniak. The season he's producing, well, he dropped off the map for me, Matty. Yeah, I didn't even give Dallin Watini's Lesniak much of a thought. He was sort of out of sight, out of mind. This year, you just go, there's no one finishing better. And that, maybe that's why Andrew Webster. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Gets coach of the year. Like I've been, uh, I've been pushing Ivan Cleary for sustained success. But when you provide a coaching environment that sees players achieve their best, it's a big tick. Sean Johnson, Martinez Alesniak, you can go on and on. Now, big talking point with Anthony Seabold, furious post match that uh, Ruben Garrick didn't receive a penalty when he was tackled in the air. Now, this is not a classic tackled in the air scenario because the ball had bounced. He was from a charge down scenario. So when the ball bounces, strangely in rugby league, and can't rugby league throw these contradictions up, you can tackle a player if they're off the ground after the ball has bounced. But I say to you, Mitch Jennings, there is a clause for all referees to penalise any tackle they deem dangerous. Any tackle they deem dangerous, no matter what has happened. So even though the tackled in the air premise doesn't apply here, shouldn't the dangerous tackle apply here when you have your legs taken out from under you when you're in the air like that? Watching it as it happened, I was familiar with the rule because I've seen similar instances before. You go, oh, isn't that... And you see players blow up and go, oh, tackled in the air, and they'll get explained. No, mate, the board bounced. It's a loose ball. It's not fielding a kick. So as soon as I saw it happen, I knew that's not a... That's not a penalty. Well, not just because he was taken in the air. I didn't have the same reaction a lot of other people did to the spectacular nature of of the um, of the incident, Marty. But I hear what you're saying. But the referees are under the pressure they're already under and yeah. everything else. Do you want them deviating from the rule in that instance and they're awarding not, a penalty in front of the rules. post with a game? Well, they're not they're really because they're they're danger, applying discretion. They're not. They're applying discretion. The rule says that that was that's not illegal. And not, I know he went up high. But if you look at where he came down, he came down flat mm. on his back. If if, if Nickel Clockstad had hit him front on in a tackle, picked him up and dumped him on his back at the same angle he did last night, it, had, it wouldn't even be a lifting tackle. They're and dangerous, but he hasn't gone past. I, I get why it looks so bad, and maybe it's a rule that needs to be looked at. But I don't think in that scenario we need to now be asking referees to show even more discretion or put aside a, a, a black and white area of the rule book when there's so many other... Issues in our game that are like that. I mean, Matty, can you imagine the blow up, Matty? If yeah. a penalty had been awarded there for a dangerous tackle last night, and then people went back and looked and said, "Well, actually, the rule is you're not, you're not, a, it's not tackling somebody in the air That's if right. they're fielding." That, can you imagine that the uproar if that had happened? Because you know, Graham so, Annesley tells you each Monday, "Yeah, you know, I'll use contact on a kicker as an example. If it's high, if it's late, or if it puts them in a vulnerable position, or little asterisk, any tackle the referee deems as dangerous." The discretion is with the referee. And in this case, the bunker can get in the ear and say, oh, look, while the tackle in the air rule doesn't apply, uh, player X has pulled the legs out from under an elevated Ruben Garrick. That's a dangerous tackle every day of the week penalty. Yeah, well, the bunker didn't, didn't they? Plenty, nah. plenty of views at it. Maybe I see, maybe, and maybe that rule needs to be looked at. Maybe if it comes, maybe you need to have a rule in place that speaks to airborne players. So it's less mm. to do with whether they're fielding a kick or whether... But then you get a can of worms, Matty. What's to stop yeah. a winger going for the corner... That's and right. just jumping into the air to finish, and you can't touch him. Oh, he's, he's in the high air. High velocity. The there's all these spinning. Cra- you're right. You're so right. So I think we're right. opening a whole bunch of, of news, but maybe the rule needs to be looked at as far as whether that changes from fielding a kick. And let's face it, too, Matty, it's kind of a normally. Do we see that every week? No, it's, it's not something we see very often at all. So I can, but I would think in those isolated incidents like that if we're going to then have a rule and then effectively choose not to use the rule <laughs> to penalise like what are we asking referees to do Matty I think oh, I think it's a we won't see it very often and I as much as I saw uh, Anthony Seabold blowing up and as much as we saw 
some players' reactions and everything else, I actually think they got it right, as ugly as it looked. OK, Manly gone, Warriors careering towards a top-four finish. We'll preview Super Saturday after the 8.30 news, including Dragons v Storm across the road later this evening. And we'll chat about the new Pacific Rugby League Championships. But after the break, Jordan Warren joins us to look at the Tillies, the Matildas, right after this. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Well, the biggest ticket in town, in Sydney anyway, this week was midweek. Australia v England Women's FIFA World Cup semi-final where this happened. Only a few metres in front of the halfway line. Greenwood at a slow pace begins to start forward and Australia have won it back. And now there's a break here. Sam Kerr can run it nearly bright. Sam Kerr continues on. Edge of the box. Kerr strikes! Can you believe it? Stadium Australia has never, ever, ever been louder. A green and gold eruption in Sydney. So, Sam Kerr scored the best goal on Wednesday night. England, unfortunately for us, Australians scored three of them. Jordan Warren. So, Australia goes on to play Sweden tonight to the Matildas, finish with bronze. Yeah, morning boys. It was a, a sensational moment the other night when Sam Kerr scored that goal. It, it seemed for a little bit there that they were going to go on and kick on, but unfortunately England heart bro uh, broke the hearts of Australia and all Australian fans. But yeah, no, they definitely can beat Sweden tonight. So Sweden have been a bit of a defensive powerhouse this whole tournament. Of course, they managed to, to get by against the USA in that famous penalty shootout victory in the round of 16 where they didn't really have a shot on goal that whole game, but they just held off the defending champions and then one on the penalty shootout so the Matildas need to be wary of that that low defensive block which we kind of saw against uh, England the other night which the Matildas struggled to deal with so that'll be the main uh, talking point in terms of how Sweden are going to win the game but, but the Matildas attacking flair uh, certainly on point uh, at the moment in this tournament of course Sam Kerr with that stunning goal but other than that they've been pretty good in, in attack other than the England game so yeah it would be a massive achievement to, to finish with a medal for the first time ever in, in the men's or the women's World Cup Rabs obviously we've got that on the line so there'll still be some attention on that but I've been one of these people in the aftermath I've been wrestling with it obviously that Sam Kerr moment it'll echo in eternity in Australian sport forever and it'll probably hang around long after the, the reality of that it came in a loss uh, hangs around probably but it's been such a, a ride for everyone, Ravs. We've all been on board with this. It's, it's been Matilda's fever. Like, we've never seen anything like it, really, in sport, in a sporting event <clears throat> in this country. But underneath all that, George, is this, or was this, I think about with Germany being out, with the US being out, with some moments there in the second half that the Matildas would certainly like to have back, some squandered opportunities. Was this, as much as it was great and a hell of a ride to be on, was this a missed a huge missed opportunity for the Matildas to win a home World Cup especially for this generation of Matildas that won't all be around you would think for too long into the future Yeah I 100% agree with you Geno and it's a great point I think it was the best chance for Australia to win the World Cup and despite the fact that they should 
be extremely proud and we should be extremely proud of them um, considering it was the, the furthest we've ever gone in a World Cup. Yes, there, there would be players that would like their, their time back. Obviously, uh, Ellie Carpenter made a pretty uh, horrific mistake for, for that England second goal and she would definitely like that moment back. But there was also a few chances. Sam Kerr had another couple of chances against England that, that she could have done better. But yeah, I definitely think that a lot of the former Matildas, like uh, I know that Grace Gill is of the opinion of former Matilda and she, of course the Channel 7 that she's of the opinion that that uh, this was definitely the best chance that, that Australia had to win the World Cup. Chloe Legazzo uh, on office for, of course, is the, thinking the same. Uh, it, it's definitely a, a massive achievement for them to, to be able to, to reach the semi-finals, of course. But yeah, a home World Cup, it was similar to the Socceroos in, in the 2015. Of course, it's, that was the Asian Cup, which the Socceroos took out. But just having that home advantage was a, was a massive boost for for, for Australia and it was the 12th man and, and definitely in this case at the World Cup it, w- it was the Matildas 12th, 12th person so yeah it's definitely a, a massive achievement but yeah they definitely could have done uh, they could have been uh, perhaps winning it with the squad that they have considering that the players like Katrina Gorry, uh, Sam Kerr like Caitlin Ford, Shell Arbor's Caitlin Ford they're, they're all in their prime right now so to wait another four years uh, to, to see what happens in the next World Cup I definitely think that there'll be a few players that, from now that won't be in that squad but in saying that the Matildas were able to, to uncover a few gems. Kyra Cooney Cross had a sensational tournament. Of course, Mackenzie Arnold in goals with those penalty shootout heroics against France in, in the quarters. There, there's a number of gems. But yeah, I agree with you, mate. I, I do think that it was the best chance for Australia to, to take out the World Cup. And where do we sit on following on from that? Tony Gustafson, because he had absolutely cocked it up apparently early on we were we were gonna we were gonna carry him out with people had their pitchforks and their burning stakes out then we absolutely loved him and now in the wash up you can ask some some questions again and i guess the main ones were rabs that uh, i guess the handling early on of of sam kerr and i think probably got that right but the the lack of going to his bench probably the the long minutes to his preferred stars and there's been some questions raised about whether he he lived up to that whole it's going to take 26 you know, players was going to take 23 and 23 to get to this World Cup. And I guess the fact that it sort of got glossed a bit over and everything else, but Alana Kennedy, key out with concussion, mm. the fourth player to have suffered concussion at training yeah. for so, the Matildas. So what t- do you think of that, Rabs? T- time's against us, Rabs, but we're speaking with um, Jordan Warren. Really short answers here because I've got three more quick questions to go to you. What happens to Tony Gustafsson, Jordan? Yeah, no, it's a good point again, Jenna. And, and I think the biggest, uh, the, the most obvious point of that is that he selected Kaya Simon and she didn't play a minute in the whole tournament. So was it a sentimental reason that he picked her? But yeah, definitely him going to his his subs bench too late was definitely a problem. Um, there's been links with Tony to, to be actually taking the USA job, of course. I mentioned earlier that USA got knocked out in the round of 16 um, and their coach is now gone. So I think that the, if Tony's going to be moving on, which, which he's out of contract, I think that uh, you'll be looking at the USA as the team he'll go to. He's highly respected, um, the, Swede, the Swedes, so I think that uh, USA could definitely be on for him. Did we lose to the champions on Wednesday or does Spain take down England in the final, Jordan? Well, it could go, it could go either way, Matty, but I do think that we've lost to the champions. I think England came in with a plan against, against the Matildas. Um, I mentioned earlier that defensive low block, but against Spain, Spain are a quality side, but they are vulnerable. They did lose 4-0 to Japan in the group stage and they do have a number of players, a number of their best players not at the tournament because they revolted against the, the coach that's still there about a year ago. And of course, England, they're, they're led really well by Sabrina Weigman. She's done a sensational job there, the European champions. I think just think that they're, they're on a roll. I think that there's nothing 
stopping them. I, I think that England are, England are definitely going to win it, and it's coming home for them. And is your magnificent Jamboree pub still standing after Wednesday night? I bet you it was chock-a-block. I reckon the atmosphere down there in Jamboree would have been outstanding, Jordan. Yeah, phenomenal. It, it's been rocking every game, and it's built. The crowd's built and built on on every game. But yeah, I haven't been there because I've been at the at the at the ground covering the game. But uh, he's yeah, a pro, Matty. I, I heard when Sam, <laughs> <laughs> when Sam when Sam Kerr's goal went in the other day, boys. I, I heard that it was absolutely rocking. So yeah, great stuff for, for the family business. You are representing a famous footballing name fantastically well, Jordan Warren. Thank you for your time. We look forward to reading your great work in the Illawarra Mercury. Time for the news, and we're back to talk Super Saturday. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Tiger, what will the Tigers eye this afternoon against the Dolphins to start Super Saturday? This is Saturday's In the Gong, Matt Russell, Mitch Jennings. Now we're joined by Illawarra Mercury Sports Editor Tim Barrow. Baz, can you believe that a team that has lost 10 in a row and is set to take back-to-back wooden spoons is a $1.50 favourite to win this afternoon? The Tigers, do they deliver? Oh, and then just when they strike a winnable game, they lose Luke Brooks along the way. They can't cop a trick, the Tigers. I tip them, but without Brooks, I'm, I'm not sure now. Ah, uh, well, they might get Luke Brooks back next weekend against the Roosters. Now, do you hold out more hope for the Tigers this afternoon or your Bulldogs against the Raiders tomorrow, Tim Barrow? Uh, shockingly enough, you'd have to hold out more hope for the Tigers. Although the Raiders were very, very ordinary last week. But you'd like to think that with something on the line still to play for, uh, the Raiders would turn up on Sunday. I'm not sure whether the Bulldogs have just put the queue in the rack because uh, that was very, very ordinary last week. Baz, I've got a question for you. As a, I know as a mad Doggies fan and everything else, what was interesting for me was the talk out of the West Tigers this week. Obviously, Tim Sheens will be finishing up early. The the message was that they're ahead of schedule, is what we've heard for the West Tigers. They are ahead of schedule. Um, but I thought it'd be curious. They're not, ahead of, they're not ahead of anyone on the They're ahead of schedule the way Sydney trains are ahead of schedule. But, Baz, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Where do you think, out of those two clubs, if you're a Tigers fan or you're a Dogs fan, both have been in the midst of a rebuild, both fan bases have been assured that don't worry, stay with us, we've got a plan we're moving forward who do you think's more ahead or behind schedule, however you want to look at it Baz, if you're a West Tigers fan and you are a Doggies fan who who is more who has a steeper uphill climb from here to get back to where they both want to be in contention where do you sit on that one? I'm honestly going to say that the Bulldogs are still further down the right track Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot that feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. As bad as their results are because one, their recruitment, they've recruited Kikau, they've got Stephen Crichton, 
they've been pretty active and fairly successful in the market, although it's taken longer, although given some injuries, it's taken longer to probably come together than they would have liked. Whereas the Tigers, there's just so much uncertainty, whether it be at board level, whether it be leaks, the, the coaching situation, there's just so much doubt about where they're at. Um, you know, good luck to Jaden Sullivan. He's got big shoes to sort of jump into, a big, big hole to fill there. But I just, I really can't quite see the direction where the Tigers are at yet. Whereas I think the Gus Gould factor, and uh, you can't quite compare them to Penrith, but you just get the sense that given a couple more years, the Dogs could still uh, turn it around pretty quick. Well, Tim Barrow, have a listen to the names that have coached the Tigers over the last 10 plus years Sheens, Potter, Taylor. Webster, Cleary, Maguire, Kamali, Sheen's again for a year. Now it's over to Benji. I reckon this is like all in. They've had this five-year plan. They had Tim for Benji along with Robbie. If this doesn't work over the next 24 months, then where do they go? The only way they can go is mass changes apart from the coach at board level, at executive level. Uh, Mitch Jennings, does Jaden Campbell, the St. George Illawarra, um, utility slash would be half. Does he fix much for the Tigers in the next 24 months? Geez, it's a lot if you're having him come in and be the the saviour. And that's what you, Baz sort of mentioned. I think they're both in the same sort of spot. The difference being the Bulldogs have a coach who'd been served this great long apprenticeship at one of the benchmark systems and has that. I think the Tigers have done the same sort of thing in recruiting Appy Corusau, making him their foundation chip. He's re-signed, you know, Papa Lee. They're doing the same sort of things. But now you've got Benji going into coach and he's going to have a lot on his plate. He's going to bring through a Sullivan. He's there for four years. It, it makes me shiver to think of him going great at the Tigers because he was the great hope for Dragons fans <laughs> well into the future. For has been since he was a teenager. So interesting. I don't think he could be asking him to rescue. He's got his own fitness issues he's going to have to get on top of. Where does he fit in the mix? With Where's Aiden Caesar at, Matty? Do you know where that was going Aiden on? Aiden coming back from England to so, play in the halves for the Tigers. So does he end up in the same spot? Does he end up at the Tigers doing the same thing he's doing now? Does he end up playing a bit of hooker off the bench? Does he end up playing a bit of... Or does he partner well, in the halves? Well, surely you I, wouldn't sign for four years unless you've been given some sort of assurances to your satisfaction that you're going to be used as you would like. Well, I would think, and I would think, most of those guarantees or most of that would have taken place with Benji, not with Tim Sheens, I would think. But that's the thing about the West Tigers. How do you know? Was that have those assurances to a Jaden Sullivan been given to him by Benji Marshall? Have they been given to him by Tim Sheens? Have they been given to him by Scott Fulton? That's where mm. so many dramas from the Tigers come out from. That could be a classic example. He could have a Jaden Sullivan going there, thinking he's going to play this role and ending up doing something completely different, being just as disgruntled and not having the opportunity to to turn it around. So you never know. You never really know. He's got a huge future, Jaden Sullivan. I think wherever he does end up in the right system, he's going to be a superstar, and it's going to hurt if it's not at the Dragons, but I, it, there's no sure bets when you go to that club what it's going to do for your career. Tigers v Dolphins, Combank Stadium to start Super Saturday on Fox League. Tim Burrow, the next game, Gold Coast against Penrith, the Premiers. They are powering towards three straight, it would seem. And Tom Weaver, a 20-year-old Gold Coast product, makes his debut today for the Titans against Nathan Cleary, against the Premiers. How many points do the Panthers pile on in that second leg of your Super Saturday? Oh, I think they'll put probably 20, 30 on early and uh, then put the queue in the rack. Uh, they've done it against the low teams before in the year, so I think they'll put the game to bed pretty quick. And men, give me your thoughts on the final leg of Super Saturday. We're down here in the gong tonight. Wynn Stadium, St George Illawarra against Melbourne. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing 
what Melbourne can do off the back of a big win last week, one of their better performances, and knowing that Ryan Pappenhausen is probably going to parachute back into the lineup next week against Gold Coast, funnily enough. Jeno, the Dragons, what sort of fight do they show us tonight? Well, if it's if we go on recent weeks, they're going to show a hell of a fight. They're going to be right yep. in it. They're going to do everything else. But I, th- I see it playing out the way most of them, most of them probably have. I was very interested to see if Ryan Pappenhausen. I'll be there covering the game to see uh, Pappy back in. He is such. If you throw him in there. A fit Ryan Pappenhausen with Hughes, with Munster, with Grant. There is no better spine in the competition, and they suddenly become right in that mix for mine. So I just want to see how Pappy comes back and how how close he is to his best when he does, because he's shaping as the real finals wildcard. But for your question as of tonight, I think we'll see another game effort from the Dragons, but I think the Storm will be too good and probably kick away from them late in a way some other sides haven't. I've got a brother-in-law, Aaron Blouse, and his daughter, Monty, driving down from Orange to be at Wynn Stadium tonight to watch their beloved Dragons. I'll give them some confidence as they're on the road listening to this. Uh, five and five, the records, and George Illawarra and Melbourne at Wynn Stadium. So on the back of that, Tim Barrow, do you give the Dragons much hope tonight? No, I'm just worried that after a month full of effort without any real reward that the Storm, the Dragons might be run over by the Storm tonight. The Storm are in really menacing mood all of a sudden, and I think they're now definitely number three pick for the comp, the Storm. They're, they're coming at the right time. And we're about to, after the break, talk to our good mate Mitch Cohen about racing. Tim Barrow, I know you are all over that as well. Come on, Wink Stakes, give us Baz's best. Before you do, can I say that I bumped into Peter Volandis last night he was joking, what sort of question do you want me to ask in the media conference? We said, well, I've got a question for you. Who's going to win the Wink Stakes? He went straight to Fangirl. What about you, Tim? Yeah, that sun is out and the drier it gets, the better chance I had Fangirl on top. But it needs to be firmer. So that's drying weather out there. A definite chance. Uh, just a quick bang the gong to Kerry Parker. Uh, getting sinking over. Uh, after, has it run since winning the Queen Elizabeth? Uh, what are we, back to all, well, April last year. So an enormous training effort and recovery effort to get Think It Over back on track. Yeah, go Think It Over. Go whoever you back in the Winks Stakes. Tim Barrow, great to chat as always. Enjoy your Saturday. Good luck on the punt. Enjoy the footy. We'll talk to you next week after the break. Mitch Cohen takes us through the Winks Stakes and spring more broadly. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. It's on now. Animo moved up on the inside to join Profondo and they're broken clear. It's Animo in front from Profondo. Fangirl late on the scene, but Animo's drawn clear and there's another Group 1 success. Animo won the wing stakes by two lengths. Fangirl second, Profondo uh, does Fangirl improve this afternoon? Does the Illawarra hope Kerry Parker's think it over deliver for the Illawarra? Let's ask a man who knows more than us, News Corp racing writer, racenet.com.au racing writer, Mitch Cohen. Good morning to you. Wicks Stakes Day. Give us your preview. Yeah, good morning, boys, and good morning, all the listeners. Good to have us, um, good to talk to you again. It's, uh, it's been a little while, but uh, yeah, Wicks Stakes Day, the first group one of the season, and what a cracking race it is. I mean, you could make a case for 10 or 12 of these horses in, in this field to win. There's uh, 
plenty of Group 1 winners in there, obviously. Pink it over. He's back from his, his long layoff, obviously. Suffered a tendon injury in the lead-up to last spring. Um, won the Queen Elizabeth stakes at his last start last year before, obviously, suffering that injury. But it's just good to have him back at the races. Speaking to Kerry, he's just hoping to see him hit the line, ping the lead late, and hopefully, um, well, definitely come home safely and, and, and just be happy and healthy after the run because... You never know when they come back off these long layoffs. The tendon injuries tend to um, tend to really affect a, a horse's career going forward. Sometimes horses just don't come back from, from such a serious injury. And um, we're just hoping that for Kerry's sake and, and Illawarra Racing for sure that he comes back as well as ever. Obviously, Zark is there in this race. There's our favourite. But um, I'm leaning towards the other Annabelle Nation train Galloper in Mwanga. They kept racing this fella late in his career. He's a six-year-old now, but still an entire. So he's got a, a um, he's got a future at stud coming up. But uh, in this, in this uh, you rarely see them racing at six when they've got a future at stud racing. But that's probably a mark of how well he's going. His trials have been excellent. Um, it's just a, the only query will be the gate. He's drawn wide in barrier 14. He'll need some luck in running, but the pace will probably be on. On Zaki, uh, our favourite, speaking to Annabelle Nishu, she wasn't going to run him in this race. She thought um, the tramway would be his starting point, but he was just so forward in his trial the other day. He was going so well that she said, well, it's a million-dollar Group 1 race. Why not have a crack at it? Mitch, I've got an entire stable beside me here. Mitch Jennings, you got a question? <laughs> for our other Mitch regarding today's race? Oh, I, I think if I'm, what I want to ask Biscuits is because I know he's a pretty measured individual. I get caught up in I get caught up in the story. I go off half-cocked all the time. But Think It Over, obviously, is there a horse you're more interested in seeing Biscuits than uh, than Think It Over? Because obviously that, that win in the Queen Elizabeth against uh, ahead of Zaki, ahead of Animo, ahead of Very Elegant, such a... I mean, it probably would have been if it was the last race that we saw... Uh, when it would have been an incredible way to go out, but what do you think its ceiling is, or what do you think you're going to see, not just this afternoon, but what do you think Think It Over could probably could probably go to from here? Look, mate, his trial the other day was excellent, really. Um, I, I wouldn't be... Um, I think backing in would be more of a sentimental thing because it's, hard, oh, it's always hard to back a horse that's first up in 500 days. Um, so you just never know what you're going to get till they get to the races. But his trials... And, from what Kerry's saying, he's, he's actually going really well at home, and that was definitely um, an indication of that in his trial the other day, where he finished alongside Mwanga at Warwick Farm. But he appears to be travelling well. Uh, but as I said, I probably wouldn't back him. If there's a horse I'd really want to follow throughout the spring that's in this race, it's the three-year-old King Colorado. Now he was a Kembla Maiden winner uh, early this year. He's gone from Kembla Maiden winner in his second start to winning a Group One JJ Atkins at start three. Uh, he returns from a break here. It might be short of his best, but I think he could be one to really follow throughout hey, the spring, obviously. And next There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. A little technical glitch rudely interrupted race nets Mitch Cullen before the break. Mitch, you were saying Moanga to win the Wink Stakes today, in your opinion. King Colorado, Cylinder Prowess, your horses to follow during the spring. Cylinder Prowess, just finish your line there about King Colorado for us, Mitch. Mate, I think he's just one of the horses you can follow through the spring. He obviously won a Group 1 at his third start there in the JJ Atkins, and he looks like a progressive young three-year-old. 
Well, thank you for your intel today, Mitch. We'll continue to speak to you during spring, which is coming quickly. The great racehorses are returning. King Colorado aiming at the Golden Rose, maybe. Caulfield Guineas, Spring Champion Stakes, Victoria Derby. That's all ahead. Wink Stakes day today. We've got a lot more ahead on Saturdays in the gong. The Mowers Club on 1170 in Sydney up next. But on the app, Saturdays in the gong continues. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. Welcome to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. from the Wollongong Golf Club, which is a picture again this morning. Nothing but sunshine, the course in fantastic shape. Also backed by Wollongong City Motors. Visit for a test drive today. Big thanks to Wollongong City Motors. Fantastic supporters of this show since the inception. Mitch Jennings, Illawarra Mercury, your employer, and a new sponsor, Avcon, specialising in industrial and response projects. Have a listen to their brief, looking after waste management, emergency spill response, industrial services, water rescue, key projects, avconprojects.com.au. They're the supporters, uh, and there are plenty of supporters in the NRL who are looking forward to a Super Saturday, starting with Tigers against the Dolphins. Then it's the Titans going up against the Panthers. And tonight, Dragons at home to the Melbourne Storm. But I want to talk about the new Pacific Rugby League Championships announced this week, backed by government funding. Uh, what did you make of the arrival of the championships? How much merit do you think NRL clubs and NRL high-profile stars will put on it? Give us your forecast. Oh, I think it'll be the case of what it always is with the International Rugby League, Matty. I think the players will be all for it. They'll be all about it. They're going to put all their energies into it and do whatever they can to try to make it as successful as it can be. And I'm sure all the clubs are going to do whatever they can to, ham to put the handbrake on it and to bring it undone. It's just the way international... It's the biggest thing people always talk about everyone always seems to have this unanimous view that we need more international rugby league we need to do more t more for it but clubs and by extension the arlc often find ways of hampering it we saw that in the initial postponement of the world cup so I, I, you probably got the cynicism coming straight out of me maddie when you asked me that question because well because i'm such a heard lots I, of it this i'm week. such a huge supporter of international rugby league i think the goal should be to make it actually uh, surpass state of origin in the imagination and we're seeing that we, you talked about world cup fever we are such a globalised world we live in now. So we're talking World Cup Matildas, World Cup Boomers, World Cup Rugby Cricket. Rugby League is going to get left behind if we're not on that international stage. Yeah. And now we don't have... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Rugby League doesn't have the platform internationally that those other sports I mentioned do, but you get left behind because it's where... And we've got these burgeoning Pacific nations, so I like the idea of this cup. I like that it is focusing on the region here. It always seems to be we can play New Zealand here or we can go to the UK and play England, but you can actually create stuff here that is easier to put on the end of a season it's easier to schedule and as you said it's got government 
support as well. So and whenever there's government support on something, Matty, there's obligations that then have to be met. Whenever it's just relying on clubs pretending they care about international footy and everything else and not hampering these types of things when there's government funding involved, there's obligations that have to be met. And I get excited about that part of it because that's the only way you can genuinely get things done. When governments have invested in it, they're going to come and demand certain things occur. But are they? Like, I think the government throws money, especially some governments, uh, willy-nilly, and then that's done. We don't care whether it's, um, you know, James Tedesco playing fullback or Bill Smith from the bloody Port Kembla Blacks. Well, I agree, Matty, but it's 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 a start. It puts you more yeah. in a position. There's more accountability to where it goes and how it's spent than than uh, if it's not. If it's yeah. just relying on the goodwill of clubs and players and everyone else. Of, certainly, like I said, players will be all about it. If, if if it was in the hands of players, the international game would be absolutely thriving. If yeah. you speak to any of them, particularly players of Pacific Island heritage that love representing Samoa, Tonga, Cook Islands, these type of nations, if it was in the hands of the players, it'd be absolutely thriving. But uh, unfortunately, you've got more hurdles to clear than you should to get this type of stuff happening. But, you know, I'm a fan of it. I like the concept and hopefully it is very, very successful. I'll be watching keenly. While the Pacific Rugby League Championship is being played, Tonga will be in England. So bear that in mind. Tonga, England playing a test series, men and women. Uh, leaving the Pacific Rugby League Championship to involve two competitions, if you will. A Pacific Cup, Australia, New Zealand and Samoa. So Samoa World Cup finalists, last start in the World Cup. Uh, that's the top three teams. And then playing the Pacific Bowl, Cook Islands, Fiji and Papua New Guinea. I like that. So you're not going to have Australia running into the Cook Islands and racking up 75 points to nil, which is does nothing for the international game. But Cook Islands playing... Fiji, for example, you'd, you'd watch that thinking, well, wonder who's going to win this. Uh, and great to see PNG getting more international footy as well. We know that that is... Well, we don't know what it is. We, we don't know what Papua New Guinea can be. Um, with the right investment, the right structures around professional rugby league, we think we know we can tap into a country that treats it as a religion, a national sport unlike any other. So Papua New Guinea, that after a few Pacific Rugby League championships, if they can get logistics safety and a lot of other matters looked after you wonder whether Papua New Guinea will rapidly improve as a expansion location or at least a team to provide expansion if yeah. not the location well often it comes down to how many people watch them so you can have a you can have the mad nation everything else like you said logistics investment safety and all that type of stuff that you talk about but is it going to be is it going to be something that's quantifiable to add value in the same way look at expansion in Brisbane, we went to the Redcliffe, and that was because that astronomically increases broadcast revenue, because mm. you know, you've got a game in Brisbane every single week, so they're the factors that go into you know, when people talk about Perth a lot of that time is time slots and the way that can fit into TV schedules and everything else so that's where the value comes, that's if everyone sentimentally would like a PNG team and everything else, but can you make it make sense in that, that's what, that's what it comes down to and Matty, the other thing I've got, if you're going to have a team are we talking having a team just based in PNG full-time? No, is that, is I, that, I, always, I, I've got a friend who differs, runs security yeah. over there, right? And he, he gives me a great inside view. I've not been to Papua New Guinea, so I'm only relaying the thoughts of a, a, a close friend who's been there for a long time. And he says, to think of having a professional sporting team based here in our lifetime, you, 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 you're seeing fairies at the bottom of the garden. You know, you believe there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Not going to happen. But... We could have games played out of there. We could have special camps around games. I think you'd find if there was an expansion team in Papua New Guinea, it would 
be based in somewhere like Cairns mm. and jetting over 48 hours beforehand for a captain's run playing and then straight out afterwards. Yeah, which is where I start to question whether the viability could something Absolutely. survive long term in that in that setup. I, I struggle. I'm all for it, and all. I think. Like his PG is the only nation on the world where rugby in the world where rugby league is the national sport and his religion and everything mm. you mentioned, pulling it off to me just seems, and like you said, you've got you've little got fairies in your garden if you think that can happen. <laughs> I think we should. Do, I'd love to see more happen in PNG, but I just don't know if a team. People get expansion wrong all the time, Matty. We see in mm. other sports, and if you're going to have a team that's already half split, are they you? In Cairns, in Cowboys territory, yeah. Then you're going over to PNG to play your games, and you're coming back. Like you become the, you try to be every all things to everyone. You become nothing to no one, and I, it just I would love to see it. I just can't see a PNG team being in the NRL full time. I, I struggle. I'd I'm love to be proven wrong. I would absolutely be so happy to be proven wrong, but yeah, I just struggle to see it happening. Is it Perth then looming as the favourite, or do you go Western? Brisbane in that huge growth area, uh, a big corridor there, or is it another New Zealand team on the back of the Warriors' success this year, which is a very, uh, what's the word for that? Uh, it's it's reacting to only one season of success, saying we can put a second team over there. That's probably a discussion for another day, but Rugby League, Pacific Championships, women also involved, seven teams, Australia, Cook Islands, Fiji, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, Samoa, and Tonga playing in that, I'm sorry, not in that uh, England series, so there's seven nations playing a different amount of games. It's not a it's not a, a series. They're just one-off Pacific tests. Um, you'll you'll see some teams playing three, other teams playing one, some two. So it's not like the men's competition, which is a structured competition to find a winner. Uh, but I reckon that it will just further enhance the growth of the women's game and bed down what we're seeing in NRLW at the moment. Yeah, indeed. And look. I think you've got to treat them differently. I like that they're having a standalone Women's World Cup. I think that's a great idea. I think we do we too much in, in women's footy at every NRL level, Maddie, everywhere. We try to go for this streamlined double headers. Let's put it all in together. They're different sports. They're at different stages of their evolution. I think maximising standalone opportunities, be it for NRLW, be it for women's test matches. Mm. Oh, look at the Matildas and how they're on their own two feet here. Obviously, it's a different game, different all those sorts of things. I'm not saying they're like for like, but... Let it stand on its own two feet. I think that's where it'll grow. Whatever it's tacked on to the end of something on the men's game, I think that's where it's going to stay. I love the idea of that. And I also, what's different to the men's, where you talked about score lines and blowout score lines, I don't think it's as counterproductive in women's test matches at the moment to have the blowouts. I think they're still worthwhile. I still think getting people representing those nations, whether it be in mismatches and everything else, you don't like to see it, but I don't think they're quite as damaging or as... They're not, they don't have the same impact yeah. they do in the men. So I think as many as you can get going, as many opposition against whoever you can make it work, I think get it playing because yeah. I think it all is pushing the right direction, as particularly towards, like I said, that standalone Women's World Cup that I'm a fan of. I called the PM13 game last year, australia Papua New Guinea, big win for the Jillaroos, uh, but it was still it was different to having a big score in the men for some reason. That's not being mm. sexist. It's just that we got to see the Papua New Guinean women scoring a great try, absolutely loving themselves. Uh, it was... You felt you were watching the development of the women's game rather than a test match between two nations you expect to be equal. So I'm fully on board with you there. That's the Pacific Rugby League Championships new coming next year. When it comes to local league... You've got a busy day, Mitch Jennings. Radio this morning, then a couple of Illawarra semi-finals, then over the road for the NRL tonight. 
You'll be glad to get in the bed this evening. Oh, mate, it'll be a busy one. Maybe yeah. after a Guinness to, to wind Maybe, down. yeah, I do like the uh, the opaque <laughs> the opaque uh, libations. But I will be, yeah, have to do I'm, Mate, I've never rocked up. I've done them for a long time now, and I love this time of year. I love Illawarra Rugby League final series. I've never rocked up to a final series and to a, a day of rugby league with more anticipation, more excited, and less certain about what I'm going to see. How good is that? It's absolutely How fantastic. Because we, we, I did it with our great friend of the show, Johnny Pett, uh, came on. We we did this week on grandstands, and I wrote it in the Illawarra Mercury as well, the the why they can, why they can't. We played a bit of why they can, why they can't for all four teams. And Let's do you, it. you can make such a compelling case for all four sides to win the title. That hasn't happened in my time. Go through the covering four teams. The well, the rule in West today uh, in the minor semi-final, they've yes. both copped a few more injuries along the way than the top two. So I don't think either's going to be too daunted by needing to take the long path to the grand final. But we have a, we've never had a more live fourth-place team in a final series than we have with the rule this year. They haven't got the best record through the year, but they're getting some troops back at the right time. The fact is they've finished top two the last two seasons and gone out in straight sets. So I don't think having to do it from fourth and from a mine will be too daunting for them or something that they're they're throwing their hands up at. It's probably a challenge they'll be embracing. So they've got that West still definitely capable of winning the competition. They've oh, they've been two and five heading in, so they've had a rough trot through the middle of the year and they've been uh, getting some troops back on deck and everything else. But, you know, the extra games give them time to peak. And obviously in the major, De La Salle, the, you know, the newbies down here and finished with the minor premiership which was a huge boost for them in their second year in the Illawarra yep. uh, and then you've got Collegians who are the reigning premiers have won the last two and uh, look like they're right in the hunt as well so I, I would not be surprised to see any of these four sides lifting the trophy in a couple of weeks time West's the rule De La Salle Collegians give us a couple of players who might put their fingerprints on the finals series and really make the final few weeks their own. Well, we, we identified some key men through that process we are doing this week, Matty, so it's, it's actually not that hard to do. I think for the rule, you've got to certainly look at Jared Boyle. He's one of the best winners this competition seen in the last decade. He's looking for a third... Uh, he's looking for, sorry, a fourth premiership with a third club. Uh, wow. So he's in that mould where he goes, people win. He knows how to get it done in big games, and he's hasn't tried to dominate too much in a new footy side this year with the rule, but I think in the big games, he's going to go up a level. He's won... To watch, and obviously they've got Stevie Masters out there uh, on the right edge, and I think he in this competition is the single hardest, uh, sorry, the most potent one-out attacking option any side has in the competition. You can just play to him early, and he'll, and he'll create something. So I think they're the two to watch there. But the rule for for West, I think certainly Dylan Palmer Quigg uh, at fullback, he probably might play five-eight today. He's been there fine this year. He came along from Kiama. He was going to add some depth to the roster, but got an opportunity, just become indispensable. I think he's been absolutely outstanding. If it weren't for Collegians fullback Callum Gromick, who I feel is the player of the year. He'd be uh, certainly rookie of the year, Dylan Palmer-Quigg. He's one to watch there. And Dill Laurie, the prop, um, their tone setter. He's going to be really, really important. And for Collegians, I think you've always got to look at uh, Blake Phillips. I called him this team of the decade. He's the player of the decade. He's chasing a fifth premiership this year with Collegians. He just wins. He's got two men in the match grand final awards. He just goes up a notch at this year. He's, he's one to watch, particularly with the game on the line. I've never seen a middle forward who can dictate the outcome of a game like a half, like a fullback as a middle forward. So he's absolutely certain one to watch. And that guy I mentioned, Callum Gromick, uh, is obviously my player of the year this year through the regular season. Dela, well, they've got surprise packets all over the park. Their lineup changes a little bit more than some of the other clubs. But I think Jack Williams, um, absolutely one to watch. They haven't lost with him there this year. He's been in and out. But whenever he's been there, he's... Uh, He's almost, he just, they just win. They get over the line with him there when he pairs up with Eli Levito. He's one to watch. And I've always loved watching the fullback 
for De La Salle, Chaz Jarvis as well. He's uh, he's a surprise packet. He can create something from nothing. He's everywhere. So there's, there's players all across the park. You can probably hear it coming through. I'm that excited Mate. to watch and see how this will play out because it's going to be such a good final series. And, yeah, I can't wait to get out there and call them. We need a four-hour Saturday. We do, mate. I could. I could do it. Rugby League. So West v. Thirul, De La Salle v. Collegians. Where and when today? At Collegian Sports Centre, both of them. One at three, one at 4.45. And you've got the uh, First Division major and minor preceding that as well. So four games of footy at Collegians today if you want to get out there. And uh, I always check the tins are pretty cold out there too. <laughs> okay. I always have a look. So Collegians at Fig Tree. At Figgy, yep. Uh, opposite Fig Tree Grove there. So you can do a yep. bit of shopping. Duck across the road for the uh, first grade finals, 3 p.m., 4.45 p.m. Now when it comes to Group 7, the ladder reads this way. Shell Harbour, Stingrays on top, 28 points. One win behind Shell Harbour and Jeringong. So Shell Harbour Stingrays top, then Shell Harbour Sharks, Jeringong on 26. Fourth is Narabomadary. The draw today, Geno, we've got Berry at home to Narabomadary into Jeringong against Jamboree. These are all three o'clock today. Home team first, Berry, Nara, Jeringong, Jamboree. Then tomorrow, Milt Nulladulla against Warilla Lake South. Kaima against Albion Park Oak Flats and Shell Harbour against the Stingray. So your final game of the round in terms of reading it on your computer, but it's 3 o'clock Sunday. So the three games kicking off tomorrow. What a derby this will be. Do we dare to dream of an all-Shell Harbour grand final? Well, it's absolutely. it could be a grand final so preview. It could be, absolutely. It's mouth-watering. And, Matty, to get there, just the, the shot it gives the entire competition. When the Stingray started... They were, they were whipping boys. They couldn't get near winning a game. People thought they were going to be at the root of the bottom of the ladder, uh, you know, forever. It was hard to even see how they'd climb back up the top. Obviously, they had the, the Ray brothers were there that really put a jolt through, really helped them recruitment-wise. They've now moved on, and Tommy Warner doing a great job as captain coach now. The Stingrays there. In, the, in what I've watched this year of it, I'd be back in the Stingrays to claim it. They'd be my favourites, Matty. But Shell Harbour, the Sharks, that is, um, they're coming hard. They've got some great players there. And uh, just the thought of a, of a Shell Harbour derby... I don't know if grand finals. And they've already got a fair one. Every time Warilla and Jerringong played in a grand final, that's a fair rivalry. That's that's pretty bankable. But to see that for uh, you know the first time at that first grade level, that'd be uh, that'd be something to see. You know, we are in a privileged position. We get to go and watch NRL games in our in our work capacity, and unfortunately, that limits the amount of time that I can get to some of the local league games. I remember being involved with Group Ten, Group Eleven out Western New South Wales. Loved it. Any chance I get to go and stand on the hill, have a cold beer and a sausage sandwich and watch the likes of a show. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Harbour Derby in Group 7 or some of these finals in Illawarra Rugby League, it is worth doing, especially on a day like today where you can, you can smell spring. It's coming. The big footy games are here. The good racehorses are back. It's a fantastic time of year. We're going to break, then we're back to bang the gong and talk a bit of hoops as the Hawks head towards a new season. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track.
There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Time for our world-famous segment on Saturdays in the Gong, Making the Mercury. Mitch Jennings, let's turn to basketball because you made the Mercury in a big time with a story that caught my attention this week. Yeah, big time, mate. You go down and you start doing your rounds and obviously a lot of interest in the Hawks this year and some of their, their big-name recruits went down to speak to a few of them through the week and uh, poor AJ Johnson, 18, and really throwing himself into the scrimmages and probably learned... He won't be the first and the last to learn the lesson that uh, Sam Rowling has some sharp elbows, I think, because uh, <laughs> just in a bit of a skirm, in a uh, sorry, just out completely accidentally, just come across there and cops one on the schnoz and it looked like it might be a bit of a nose bit of a nosebleed and a bit of a, you know, we'll see how we go. It shouldn't be too much, but, uh, yeah, subsequently heard that uh, needs some surgical correction. That'll uh, that'll happen early next week, and it's just got to send shivers down the spine of um, Jacob Jacomas, obviously, last year on the injury front, just had cursed. He was just about losing four imports the season-ending injuries. Uh, kind of uh, kind of sat well with him, but, Matty, I do, to, to put some fans at ease, I understand he's, uh, he's in a mask and he's already dunking and he's getting back in and he's doing the you know, the not-against-defence stuff and doesn't seem to be affecting him. You know, the exuberance of youth, it takes a lot to knock him down. So, And uh, I don't think it's going to put him in doubt for the start of the season. From what I can gather, they're actually hopeful or pretty certain that he'll be able to to go into the, the blitz in the pre-season as well. So okay. uh, just a bit of a, a hiccup there. But, uh, yeah, notable. It's a quick, a quick uh, introduction to the realities of playing in a man's league for the young fella. But... From all reports, he's handled it like a champion and he's uh, he's going to be raring to go. I won't put a dent in him at all. Speaking with Il Presidente, the head of basketball at the Hawks, Matt Campbell, who normally joins us here, but he is in the ski fields enjoying himself this weekend. He's been high on, on Johnson. He thinks that he's the early signs are really, really good. Of course, he's here under the Next Stars program, an NBL initiative that brings the best talent from the States to Australia, helping with the salary, etc., etc. Uh, what's the early reaction apart from Matt Campbell and despite the nose knock regarding Johnson? Yeah, it's interesting, Matty. I, I, I risk falling into the, as Eddie Jones would say, relentlessly negative uh, <laughs> commentary when it comes to the Next Stars program, Matty, because we had the experience with LaMelo Ball and people still seem to go on and think that that was the greatest gift that the NBL or sport ever gave to this fair city and it just wasn't they lost he left before the year was out it, it really didn't have much tangible impact for anyone great for the NBL or great for Lamello not great for the Hawks down here so when we I knew when we had another next star I thought okay what's this going to be because we had Justinian Jessup as a next star but he was the perfect fit he was a draftee he didn't come with all the hype everything else he was basically a draft and stash guy and he was so important to the Hawks rotation and the Gorgian and some finals runs but uh, I think there's a real... I asked El Presidente on this program a couple of weeks ago about what lessons the club learned from that experience with Lamello and how will that help them handle a guy who hasn't come with quite the same buzz and fanfare, but he's certainly a sensation in, in the US. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on him and how he goes, but I think the fact they've brought him in to be a role player, they've obviously got a, a backcourt with Tyler Harvey and Justin Robertson that'll be among the best you know, in, in the league, and you throw Gary Clark in there at the four, it's one of the best, if not the best, import trio on paper. Uh, in the league, so they're not asking a young star like that to come in and be the panacea to all their problems to get him over the line. They're going to have him there as a top up, and I think speaking to Matty, they've actually seen him in the flesh. They actually think his role can be bigger than that. They think he'll actually be more than just a handy top up. Uh, he can really be a game changer for them in those small spurts. And you've got to remember that as well. We all look at Josh Giddy now and the superstar he's becoming. When he was a next star with Adelaide, he, he wasn't a starter. Mm. He didn't play massive minutes. He came on and provided his 
touches here and there that showed us how good he was going to be. But Adelaide that year didn't make the playoffs. He didn't he didn't carry a side, nor was he asked to carry a side. And I think that's what is going to be the difference between, I guess, the experience with AJ Johnson and perhaps with Lamelo, hopefully. But uh, yeah, as far as uh, his personal qualities, you, you can't hear anyone spoken more highly of. He just real humble, real basketball-loving kid that just wants to get in there and play and, and show what he can do. So I think uh, early indications are it's going to be uh, a runaway uh, success for them. You mentioned Josh Giddy, Obviously, with strong links to the Illawarra, so too Xavier Cooks. They've both been playing with the Boomers. Warm-up games in Melbourne this week before the Basketball World Cup. A former Hawk, Duop Reith, contributing big time for the Boomers. And his role will increase, you'd imagine, with Jock Landale going down with that injury. So thoughts with Jock at the last minute ruled out of the the World Cup. So we were beaten by Brazil. Uh, too good for Venezuela and South Sudan, as you'd expect. I don't know how much you read into the, the warm-up matches, but the Boomers are headed to Japan and the FIBA World Cup. We rank number three. Now, world rankings, I don't know how much you read into them because number one is Spain, number two, the US. That's right, number two. We play in the pool stages. Finland, world number 24. Germany, world number 11. Japan, world number 36. So, Theoretically, we should finish top of our group and power into the second round. That's all ahead. What did you make of the Boomers very quickly, Mitch? Oh, a lot of encouraging signs, but lose, losing Jock Landale is huge, uh, particularly in FIBA basketball. He's a bit of a unicorn, Jock Landale, with what he can do at both ends of the floor. The the sort of Swiss Army knife he can be as a big at FIBA level is is uh, is just so important. So I, I actually think as much as we have our Paddy Mills, we have our Ingles, we have these big names now that we haven't always had in the Boomers set up in the past globally, I'm talking about, I still think he was the foundation stone and the, and the key chip. So I don't think you can underestimate how big a loss him not being there is. But as you said, there's been some encouraging signs there from Duop Reith. He's going to have to have, you know, the tournament of his life. But he's still a young guy, Duop Reith. And I've, I've never enjoyed watching a player more than I did when he was at the Hawks. He's a bit in the same mould. He's he not... No, nowhere near the, on the same level defensively as as uh, Jock Landale, but as far as his ability with the ball and the ability to do a bit of everything in the offence, I think he's very, very good at FIBA level as well. So he's going to have to have the tournament of his life. But, uh, yeah, not to be too much of a negative Nancy, Matty, I, I really, really felt the, the loss <laughs> of Jock Landale as far as those cup hopes. But, you know, they've, uh, they'll be thereabouts, no doubt, with that pool stage. You said they should come through that pretty comfortably, and then it's... Uh, then it's the, the punches chance as we get through to the finals. I'm looking forward to the World Cup. You'll see it on ESPN, on the Foxtel platform. Make sure you take all your Matilda's energy and pile it into the Boomers and the Wallabies who are preparing for their World Cup not long to go. Now, in fact, after the break, after the news, we'll turn to the Wallabies. We'll turn to Eddie Jones with the great Toby Dawson to take us through one of the fantastic media conferences we've seen. Back soon. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. He's about to host the Rugby World Cup. The Wallabies flew out this week bound for a warm-up against the hosts on Monday week. Not that Eddie Jones reads much into the warm-up games, apparently. Uh, then the pool games come thick and fast. The Wallabies against Georgia. 
Fiji, Wales and Portugal. Toby Dawson is our rugby man. Not a bad anthem, the French anthem. It does sort of have... Puts lead in your pencil, it doesn't does. it? It does. Oh, it's got lead in your pencil. It even sounds sexy, right? It does. It, it does. does. It makes me want to go into battle. It sounds uh, like something you'd order at a restaurant. No, that's, that's <laughs> With a nice white. They do get right, the, the anthem. But before we launch into a, a Wallabies preview, let's have a listen to Eddie Jones, who didn't exactly have journos eating out of the palm of his hand this week. I can't believe the level of negativity here, boys. I know what's wrong with Australian rugby, and part of you blokes are the problem, because you're so bloody negative about everything. So negative about everything. Okay, so we're going off to the World Cup, you think we can't win. You think the selection process is bad, because the players complain. So I'm, I apologise for that. So we'll go out there and do our best, boys. So if you haven't got anything positive to say, don't ask, please. But I know you blokes think we can't do any good, so, so don't ask any questions, boys. Just be, be the pessimist you are. Keep Australian rugby where it's been. Keep it where it's been. Complain about players that don't get selected. Keep doing about that, because it's fantastic, because we love it. I love this negativity, it's fantastic. Oh, nothing, mate, we're terrible. You know we're terrible. Just tell us we're terrible, and we'll prove you wrong. Thanks for the worst press conference I've ever had in world rugby. Worst press conference, well done, boys. That is the worst I've ever seen. The, the idea behind the... I guess they're Coobras and the, the Oh, you guess they're Coobras. They're Australian, mate. Yeah. I didn't want to assume without knowing that. Forget it, boys. <laughs> All right, good luck. You're going to give yourself some cuts, boys. Oh, Eddie Jones. <laughs> that, that is the media conference of the year, maybe the decade. I said earlier on, Toby, you're meant to be a bit irritable after a long-haul flight to the other side of the world, not beforehand. What, what was your reaction to that most bizarre, oh. bizarre Eddie Jones media conference? Matty, there's been head-scratching going on right around, right around the country this week, and you just think... <laughs> Did he have a night on the plot the night before, on the Reds until 3 like, in the morning? He looked like that drunk uncle at a wedding that you've been putting shit on through the day, <laughs> and he's just... Cra- he had the tie sort of half undone, the hat sort of on sideways, and he starts cracking it with this nonsensical stuff. He did. He looked like a drunk uncle at the wedding that's just gone, that's, I've had enough of you young blokes giving it to me. And yeah. I'll tell you what, that's what he looked like. And you think, is he absolute batshit and he's lost it? <laughs> or is this a stroke of genius from Eddie? Because we know he loves the showmanship, right? He loves the game. Is he, is he putting us down as far now, as we can go so we can build it right up and blow him away? I'm glad you raised that. That was going to be my follow-up question. I'll come to our, our scribe here, Mitch Jennings. Was that a premeditated approach to the media conference to try and build an us-against-them mentality, to try and take something away from that media conference for his team, or did Eddie just lose it? No, it wasn't. And we'll talk about this off-air, Matty, and we, we seem to have these guys, these huge figures in in the game, in rugby, in rugby league. Wayne Bennett's an example. He carried on like a... Well, he didn't actually carry on. He didn't carry on enough. He was carrying like a goose in a press conference in Perth a couple of weeks ago, and everyone was going, oh, that's classic Wayne. I'm like, no, it was just being a bit of a wanker, really, in that press conference. I mean, with one journo asking you, doing his job and asking you, you know, not very loaded questions, and you decide to carry on like that. Eddie Jones has come and done this in this press conference, and we and we always have they'll always have people that want to try to look behind it and go, was that? Oh no, that's just the workings of genius. They're just working on a plane, unlike the rest of us. No way, not yesterday. Eddie Jones came there, he cracked it, realised he was making a bit of a goose of himself, and then started trying to steer it towards being this orchestrated. You can't beat us, negativity, and all that. I, I think he absolutely lost the plot, and then tried, realised he was losing it, and then tried to steer it that way. And the irony, the ironic part of it is, it's coming. He took, accusing the Australian media of negativity and saying the media is at fault for where Australian rugby is. It wasn't that long ago he was uh, bagging New Zealand media as uh, fans with keyboards. So now he apparently wants 
the show and leader be fans with keyboards. Just just ridiculous stuff. Just don't let the cabin door hit you on the way out, I reckon, and after if, that. If kiddies are listening, a wanker is something you use to weigh a boat down with. But, Toby, I'll come to you regarding Eddie Jones. Uh, he, he has created a situation whereby we are talking about rugby this morning and we haven't for years. Like, he's gone to this media conference, he's behaved however you want to describe it, something you weigh a boat down with or not. But we are talking rugby again, which was part of the reason Eddie Jones came back, right? 100%. Any, pub- any publicity is good publicity. But I think, to Geno's point, <laughs> <laughs> you've got to only look at the fact that he's lost his attack coach this week. You know, without notice, personal reasons to leave the, leave the squad before boarding the plane to France. Now, it has come out with a pretty good result with Jason Riles, Wollongong local, coming yeah. in to join him. And, you know, Riles is no... No stranger to working with Eddie. He's worked alongside him before at England and, you know, look at the results that they perform. So I think it's exciting, but I think there is some cultural stuff. Eddie's got a FIFO, fit in or fly out <laughs> type <Yeah>. of <laughs> philosophy to working with him. Um, he expects it from the players and he's getting those results to need and, you know, we can go back to that and at least the first half anyway. Um, <laughs> but again, look at what's happening with Quade Cooper. Doesn't make the team, won't even answer Eddie's call. So there is definitely a cultural shift in the Wallabies. Eddie's been very open around the fact that we need a cultural shift because we've got a losing mindset. And hopefully there is genius and mastermind at work, but I completely agree. It was a drunk uncle flying <laughs> off the handle. He had a few too many Indiana Jones flashbacks or looking in the mirror with those hats on. The, the one thing I did take out, because I watched the whole thing, Matty, because I, I heard it had happened, and often you'll see grabs where a guy's gone off at a press conference and it looks like he's lost the plot. But if you watch it in the whole... You watch the whole thing and Ajourno's prodded them and prodded them and prodded them and then they've captured the, the blow up but it wasn't like that at all that, as we touched on it was quite bizarre stuff the one piece of tangible sensible information I did manage to pull out of it was when they asked him about you know working through a World Cup and he's got this youthful youthful squad and that has improvement on it. and I spoke with Blake Shop this week as well and he he's filled that group with the belief that there is so much improvement in us that's what he was Blake was talking about we've got the ceiling for us is so high so it's obviously something he's pumped into that young group but what he did ask about was about how ready you're going to be it's a long This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Long tournament, and he said, we've got to be ready to beat Georgia. I've got to get us to that. Then we've got to be ready to beat Portugal. I, I can't quite recall exactly the pool setup, but Fiji, we don't need. He goes, we don't need to be going over there to beat the All Blacks or South Africa when we arrive next week. It's in October, so we need to be at this level. So I can see that there's going to be with this young squad. He's going to try to bring them and time their run. He said it's all about timing. That's what he, that were his words. He goes, it's all about timing when it comes to World Cup. He's done it before, you know, getting Japan to knock off South Africa. He can get them going at the right moment. I think that was the one piece of sensible information I managed to pull out of that press conference was that was going to approach young side and he wants them to build through, even pre-cut, through the tour all the way up to whatever their ceiling might be. Georgia, Fiji, Wales, Portugal. There you go. Yeah, and I think it is a pretty straightforward pull when you look at it traditionally, but it's a new world in world rugby. You know, we've got more players exposed to that professional era, playing at professional top league classes, so you don't know what we're going to see with the likes of Fiji. You know, they've been Mm. in Super Rugby for the 
first time since since its origins way back in the heyday. They've been back in Super Rugby for the first time in the lead up to a World Cup. So they've got more big game experience. So we're going to really see it. And I think with the timing piece, <clears throat> what Eddie's doing here is straight out of France's playbook. France knew they had the 23 World Cup. They axed a whole heap of experienced players before Japan in 2019. Um, and then look at where they are now. They are clear favourites. They're very short odds. And it would be a surprise if they don't make it to the big show um, over there. And I reckon they're odds on to get the win. So hopefully... 27 in Australia, buy your tickets now. It's going okay. to be an absolute bounce. I actually thought too, as we always thought, Eddie spoke through the, the rugby championship, and we, we asked on this show, Toby, the question about whether Quade Cooper, and he backed him at that time and said, I'm not going to read too much time into what the young guys have done in, in sort of junk time, so to speak. But now it sort of shapes as that wasn't about giving the young guys an opportunity in rugby championship. That was giving these older guys an opportunity to show me why you should come with me. And they probably, some of them haven't quite hit that audition the way it has. So, yes, I do agree. I think he's playing for the 27 World Cup, absolutely. But I think the squad he's picked, I don't necessarily... I also think it's probably the Wallabies' best chance at this tournament as well. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. No, completely agree. And I, just back on some of those older players leaving, support the decision. The only one that I'm not 100% comfortable with is Michael Hooper. I don't think anyone is, yeah. Um, even so, if you're not ha going to have him as part of your playing squad, have him as one of your training, travelling players. You know, he's done it with James O'Connor. To have Michael Hooper's head, his experience around those younger guys, to help them as they step up to a, a stage that they've never played on before, would have been so, I think, important for these young guys to have a mentor like Hoops. But also, to be giving him the respect. You know, he's been clear, you know, stalwart of the Wallabies over the last, let's call it a decade. Does he embrace that role? That's my question about that, because I agree with you completely. But is a guy like him in that position who probably wanted to be part of a World Cup, is he a guy that's going to embrace being window furniture? In a, in a, that's the thing. I think often we say a guy with that level of respect should be shown that level of respect for that. I think sometimes cutting a guy loose like that is sometimes a show of respect. That I think he'd be fantastic in that role that you mentioned if he went there and embraced that and that's what he's there for. But if you're there over there to play that role, but you're just kicking stones that you're not playing in a World Cup. Whether it works, I agree. In, in theory, it's a, it's a great idea, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe that played into Eddie's thinking, but what we also gather, there wasn't much conversation with uh, with Michael Hooper to determine if that was the case. And that's so, what, that was another bizarre it element. Like, it there was. are any number of ways for Eddie Jones to handle the questions regarding Quade Cooper and Hooper, but instead of sort of deflecting and saying, we'll, we'll make contact and we'll give them space and time, blah, blah, blah. He basically said they're not answering my calls. They won't talk to me. They're, we've got a divide here between the senior Wallabies and the coach. He just threw more petrol on the fire. Yeah, it helps justify the position, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I completely agree. Mismanaged, you know, handled poorly from Eddie's part. Um, <clears throat> and I do agree that there's been a winning mentality. You know, over the last period, there's been games the Wallabies should have won. And they've just let it, you know, they've snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, as the old saying goes. But I think... <clears throat> You're probably right, Jeno. There's two sides to every story. Hoops may have been given the offer and he's gone no, but we've got James O'Connor going in. Now, James O'Connor's seen a lot. He's actually spent a lot of time in France, and that's back to Will Skelton coming in as captain as well. Mm -hmm. I think Eddie's preparing for not just a different stage, but a completely different way that the fans and the country engages with rugby. And the French, uh, you know, the, the French people are going to be right behind their national team. It's going to be Allez Le Bleu on every street corner. Um, and it's going to be a completely different mindset. The exposure to professional rugby, the expectations of good quality rugby over there are not anywhere in the same ballpark as what we've got here in Australia where it's been on its knees since 
2003 when Eddie was last at the helm. I'd say we probably were. They'd probably be surprised at how much scrutiny the French media will give their team. It's not all, it's not all pom-pom waving, I'll tell you that. We just say <laughs> Alain Le Bleu on every street corner. I think of it in every street gutter. Yeah, there you uh, go. Absolutely. You know, a message from our fearless leader, uh, Kent Bobby Robson, I've been the drunk uncle, and Eddie was all over it. He nailed so it. He agreed with that, absolutely. <laughs> it was the hat and the tie just got it for me. That's what oh, was... We, we might revisit uh, this after the break. Well, let's take a break, and we'll come back with more Saturdays in the Gong. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Great to have your company. This week we saw Gordon Tallis, Laurie Daly, butt heads on NRL 360. Laurie Daly had told the back page that AFL, despite being a rugby league man, AFL was the biggest sport in Australia. And then jumping him on 360, Gordy said, hang on, Laurie, what are you saying there? And they went at it a little bit uncomfortably, Mitch Jennings, but uh, Code Wars, you like the discussion regarding which sport is bigger, better, best? Oh, look, mate, for the record, I, as much as I'm a rusted on rugby league man as well, I tend to agree with, with Laurie as far as if you want to talk about the presence all across the country, if you want to talk about uh, if you want to talk about attendances, if you want to talk about TV rights, everything, well, I just think it is. But the whole Depends argu- what parameter you use. Well, it was such a, but it was such a Queensland type um, argument from Gordon Tallis. He thinks Australia is Queensland, and because <laughs> rugby league is the, the dominant code in, in Queensland, without doubt, and always will be. So I, I can see that mentality. You, you, but you I just, said it. If you're talking eight crowds, AFL, if you're talking television audience, NRL, if you're talking international game, you're talking rugby union. So, uh, you know, you're a rugby union man, Toby. What yeah. do you make of AFL and, and NRL butting heads about who's bigger, who's best? Look, I think the only surprise for me out of this is it's between two rugby league yeah. properties. You know? <laughs> but, uh, AFL, exactly to your parameters, it is biggest. If you look at the grassroots level, the way it's growing, if you look at growth metrics, like... AFL's running rings around NRL, and good on them. Well played. They're doing it well at the grassroots, and that's what I love. But I think the only thing that we need to work out is why are we doing the, why are we competing? I don't, yeah, I don't get code wars. There's nothing well, more, there's nothing more tiresome to me than code wars. And I think, I think a lot of people, the generations coming through, are a bit like that because their sports interests are so wide and varied now. With streaming, we all watch EPL, we watch NBA, we watch a bit of everything now. Young people aren't really as They'll have their favourites, but they're not enamoured in sort of keeping the wolf from the door elsewhere. I think it's a bit of a generational thing. David, I really think it is, and I think that's that's on the wane. David Anderson is our panel operator, our producer, our technical guru. David, you know that NRL is better than AFL, don't you? <laughs> well, it's interesting you bring this up. I would be a lot more even on this argument if I wasn't a West Tiger supporter in the NRL. But no, <laughs> yeah, right okay. now, AFL are streets ahead. How'd your pies go last night? They're ahead of schedule. They're ahead of schedule, Dave. Don't you? Didn't you listen earlier? They're ahead of schedule. The Mighty West Tigers. They are five years ahead. Uh, No, pies didn't go great last night. We're looking forward to September, though, mate. We're looking forward to playing the Lions at the MCG. Put it that way. Okay. Well, you've told us we need to take an ad break, so let's do that. We'll head to a break and come back to wrap up Saturdays in the Gong. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. 
You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. We have a frantic finish to Saturdays in the Gong. Dave Anderson, what's your player stat that we cut you off from giving us a moment ago? It's quite okay. Max Gorn, captain of the Melbourne Football Club, premiership player, plays his 200th game this year uh, tomorrow. We love symmetry. 200 games, he's on 99 wins, 99 losses, one draw. Oh, how good's that? How good is that? Well done, Dave. Uh, Toby Dawson, what's happening rugby front uh, locally? Uh, the mighty UAW Mallee Bulls, the women's rugby team, are playing in the Jack Scott Cup Grand Final today. So we're wishing the Mallee Bulls. Go girls. Go girls. Thank you, Toby. Geno, Geno's jinx. What do you got for us? Give us a tip. Well, it's a huge day at Randwick. Group 1 racing coming back, everything else. But I'm going straight out of the gate. First up, I'm going the midway, and I'm going to back back rower in the first there. I'm going hard at it. Paying about $3.80. Hugh Bowman on board. One up at last trial. Finished strongly. I'm going with that. Geno's Jinx, back rower. Bill the Bank, thanks for your company. Saturdays in the gold.